Welcome to Inclusive Collective. I'm one of your hosts, Nadia Butt, and I'm joined with our other host, uh, Rob Hadley. Hey, Rob, how are you today? Hi, Nadia. I am doing fantastic. How are you? Doing good. Um, I have a question for you. Um, okay. It's becoming a regular thing, as you can tell. So this question is actually courtesy of my friend Lexi. Um, when you think of a plan, is it that you want to flush out the plan or flesh out the plan? <laughs> what do you or what do you think most people say? I think so. It's what's the correct saying or idiom, right? Like, I think it's I've always thought of it as as fleshing it out. Like if you have a skeleton yeah. and you're putting flesh on it, okay. that seems that as I as it comes out of my mouth right now, it seems wrong. No, I don't. I have no idea. So I always, I was, I was literally flabbergasted. I always said flush out. Like that's what people in the workplace always said. So I was like, oh yeah, flush out, like flush out the plan. It's actually flash out. So you're, you're spot on. Is that, was that correct in the reasoning? It's correct. So per Merriam-Webster to flush out something is to give it substance or to make it fuller or more, uh, more nearly complete to flush out something is to cause it to leave a hiding place. And they use the skeleton as the example. There you go. There you go. You guys like n- Rob did not know this question in advance. So that's a pretty amazing. I think about that. I think about this stuff a lot. Do you? No, I don't. Oh, <laughs> I do. And I was really mad because I was like, I've been saying it wrong this whole time. So anyways, all right. So we are shifting gears uh, to culture formation, right, Rob? What, what's going on this week on Inclusive Yeah, Life? yeah. So, so we're going to start talking about, we've talked about investing in companies and, uh, and now we're moving into the part where we actually have a company that we're building. You've got an investment, you're on your way, and now you have to think about building the culture and the kind of company that you want to build, right? And so I am super excited to introduce our guest today because he's a founder that I uh, I've gotten to know a little bit, and whenever I speak to him, the conversation immediately gravitates toward culture. He always has something new that he's trying, and he's, he's very thoughtful about. He's always learning, uh, and he's trying to be intentional about what he's doing as he works to build an inclusive culture for his startup. So uh, today we'll, on the podcast, we have Steve Arts. Steve is the CEO and founder of Campfire. Campfire simplifies and improves manager training by delivering live cohort-based learning experiences that cultivate amazing managers, while at the same time, lightening the load for your HR leaders. How about that? We Mm. love that. Our HR leaders love that. Steve believes in taking a deeply human-centered approach to solving problems and is passionate about solving problems without technology first, then using technology as a means of scaling validated solutions. Steve Arntz, we're so excited to have you with us and welcome to the Inclusive Collective. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Nadia, for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah. And, and Steve, so let's let's talk about the company that you're building, right? So obviously that I, I know that you, you take culture very seriously. A big part of that is how we think about diversity, equity, inclusion in terms of building mm-hmm. a company. You and I live in a fantastic place, the Wasatch Front here in Utah. Oh. It's a great place and it's a great place if you're building a company. But if you're building a company, you want to have diversity, you really have to work at it and think somewhat differently about it in terms of, in terms of diversity, right? It's, it can be somewhat of a homogenous place in terms of lacking some, some racial diversity. So, so how do you think about diversity 
uh, in terms of building your team and company and, and building the right environment uh, for inclusion? That's a great question, Robin. And yeah, we live in Utah. And uh, there is quite a bit more diversity in Utah than there is inside of the tech community specifically. So Utah <laughs> sure. tech is, is particularly homogenous. Even with gender diversity it mm-hmm. is a challenge within Utah technology. Sure. And I would say that like before we dive into it too far, I wouldn't say that you know I'm particularly proud of the position that we're in at the moment as a company. I would say that we have we have work to do and we'll continue to invest in trying to do better and be better in that way as a company. The first thing that we've leaned into as a company is gender diversity, making sure that we have um, representation in that way uh, at our leadership table and throughout the company. The way that I look at diversity um, and inclusion in terms of company building is that companies should at the very least be thinking about representing the people that they serve with their products mm-hmm. and services. Yeah, Steve, I think that I, I think you can be very proud about uh, of the, you know, you're, you're, I think you're pretty close to 50-50 in terms of, of gender diversity. And I don't know if people fully appreciate how difficult that might be in this Utah environment where you're trying to scale and trying to move very fast. And so just tactically, how did you, you made the decision. Why was it so important to you? And then what were the steps you you took in order to to make sure that you had that gender diversity? I think the most important step was in the very beginning, bringing on a co-founder who uh, is a woman. Her name's Marin. She came on board. We worked for a month in kind of experiment mode with her and with uh, another co-founder, Taylor Murphy. And so Marin and Taylor came on board for a month. And then we made the decision that we wanted them to be with us full-time at the end of that 30-day experiment. We went through a 13-hour conversation. Wow. So 30-minute break for I don't know if Rob can talk to me for 13 hours straight, but that's a, that's a stretch. Was it all in one, in one shot, 13 hours? We had a 30 minute break for lunch and then 12, 12 and a half hours of constant conversation. We used an article put out by the Founders Institute and it's 34 questions to ask your co-founders before you start a company. And we each answered all 34 questions at as much length as we could to get all of the details out about our aspirations and drivers and intent and all those sorts of things. We had given uh, Marin an offer and we also had two women to support her in evaluating that offer. And we um, had her have conversations with them and she came back from those conversations. And these women were in venture capital and leadership positions and in startups. And they came back and they said, uh, Marin, the offer isn't, uh, the offer isn't right. It's not good. (laughs) <laughs> and Marin came back and and these were our friends, right? We said, talk to our friends and they'll help you through this. And I promise you, they'll give you unbiased perspective. And, and they did. They came back and said, the offer's not good. And she said, the offer's not good. And we said, well, what, what do you want here? She said, I, I just want to be equal with Taylor. And we had a pretty deep conversation about equality versus equity. Mm-hmm. We had a conversation about, well, if you got more, but relative to this other person, you still had less, both of you end up with more than you thought you were going to have, but, but relative to this person, you're still less. Would you rather have an absolute number that's less and be equal to this person or have that relative separation, but have more 
of the pie. And her answer, and everyone should have their own answer to that question, and there is no right answer to that question, but her answer was equality at this table matters to me. In a technology startup with three men and one woman, I feel it's important for me to have equality. It's not about equity. It's about equality at this particular table. It will Mm -hmm. mean something to me. And so we had that 13-hour conversation. We got to the end of that conversation. And we ended up elevating both her equity and Taylor's equity and making them equal. So Taylor didn't feel like anything was being taken from him. And Marin felt like she could have the equality that helped her to feel safe and included at this particular table, which was now three men and one woman starting this technology company together. Mm-hmm. And I think that became a foundational decision for the team because A, Marin decided to join us. So we mm-hmm. were able to have female representation at our leadership table. But B, it set the stage for other conversations with other women who would join us later in the business and helped us to at least have a foundational understanding of what that might mean to people as they evaluate different decisions and and criteria for for roles and opportunities with us as a business. I love the story, Nadia. I think I got to push on a little. I I need to know more about it and just make sure (laughs) that I'm understanding everything. So Steve, just to to clarify, so you and another co-founder, someone you had worked with, right? So there were two two men together working uh, and building this. Did you decide that you wanted to bring someone in that was a woman? Were there capabilities that you lacked? Was there, you, you made that de- determination that we want to bring other people into the organization. What, how did that come about? And then the process of bringing uh, a support for that woman that you had invited into the organization from other people, is that, is that a normal practice? Is that an idea that you had? Is that an idea that you've heard from other founders as they've tried to bring and, and diversify their founding team? How did that all work out? So there's a woman named Whitney Johnson. She writes for Harvard Business Review. She's an author. I met her at an event a couple years prior. I sort of waited to the end of her speaking engagement, waited till the room cleared. And as she was walking out, asked if I could have some some time with her. She said, I have five minutes. And (laughs) if I like what you have to say, I'll give you more time. Sure. (laughs) And so... I talked to her about all the work we were doing around career development. I got really excited. She said, this is all very interesting. Let's sit down Mm -hmm. and talk some more. So we sat down at a table and we started to talk. And by the end of the conversation, I asked her for some advice on helping to mentor uh, women in the workplace, particularly because I started to see some disparity in Utah tech and maybe in tech generally uh, between the way men and women were treated inside of this environment. Mm -hmm. And she just stopped me real hard and cold and said, mentorship's not the answer here sponsorship is the answer. And she taught me about sponsorship. I didn't know what that meant. She said, sponsorship is when you elevate women who are not otherwise being elevated uh, through their own efforts. Mm -hmm. And so you see an an inequity in the workplace. You see a woman who should be in a room that she's not in. You see a woman who should be promoted that's not being promoted. And you make that happen. Mm. You just step in and you just make it happen. That's sponsorship. And she told me, don't email me again until you have an experience with sponsorship. But when you do, I'll get on the phone. I'll get on the phone again if you do. And so I made it my absolute mission and goal to watch for inequity in the workplace, to find an opportunity to elevate and sponsor so that I could get some more time with Whitney. So this woman in kind of a position of power and, and having 
these experiences and that I wanted to draw from and learn from Mm -hmm. was helping me to elevate other women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I think it all started there with Whitney Rob. So like, I'll tie it all together now here. Yeah. Just thinking about the way in which she thought about inequity and, and thinking about the ways and mechanics to elevate and lift any type of person who might have some inequity in their situation helped me to start thinking differently about this. And so as I thought about Marin, I thought, well, she, she probably needs advice from people who have had similar experiences to her, people who maybe navigated Utah Tech, mm-hmm. and women who've had experiences with inequity to be able to give her a voice. So it wasn't something I'd read about or, or heard about from anyone else, but I just felt that she would feel far more supported getting advice from other women who have had similar experiences than she would, particularly for me, mm. you know, at the negotiation table here. And that, <laughs> that kind of the, the, the act of just taking her interests first would give us our best chance of finding ways to work together. So, yeah, I really appreciate that story and so many thoughts around it in terms of your own reflection, just even that connection with Whitney in terms of understanding the kind of the differences between mentorship and and sponsorship. So thank you for that. Um, Steve, what if if you were to think of of culture and um, what that means at Campfire, how would you define it? And then the second kind of, I guess it's a twofold question. How do you continue to take efforts to get to your ideal culture? if you have an ideal culture? So I think culture is something I've thought a lot, a lot, a lot about. And the definition that is most persistent for me is the positive behaviors you incentivize regularly and the negative behaviors that you allow. So what are the worst behaviors that you actually tolerate and allow as an organization? And what do you actually lean into incentivizing? I would say that something that we lean into at least providing positive affirmation around is really uh, gratitude for each other's contributions. And so something that I'm very intentional about is anytime I see something positive that people are doing, making sure to call attention to that. If I hear someone, we we call it talking, talking uh, positive behind someone's back. (laughs) When you talk, when you talk about people behind their back, make it positive. Right. And when I hear that, I share it. And so if people say something nice about someone, they know that it's going to get shared almost immediately with that person by me. And Mm -hmm. so in many cases, they will make sure to share it with them first Mm -hmm. before they share it with me Mm -hmm. so that I don't beat them to the punch. (laughs) Um, And so that's that's probably the, the most consistent positive behavior that we really incentivize and promote and establish is just gratitude for each other's strengths and contributions. Mm-hmm. And on the on the negative side, what is the what is the most negative behavior that we either incentivize or allow? And I think that's probably uh, and that's something I'm trying to be more and more intentional about is making sure that work creates space for positive life experiences. Mm. I think that's actually work's primary job mm. is to create space for us to lean into the things that matter most to us Mm -hmm. as human beings. And that's often our families and our relationships outside of work. It's often leaning into community efforts and, and things that we want to do 
to inspire and lift our own communities. And so often work leaves very little space for that in two ways. Number one, it takes up so much time. Mm -hmm. And number two, it just occupies so much space in our brain, either through exhaustion or disengagement or bad managers or or whatever right. the case may be. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, me as a leader, I need to be more intentional about making sure that I am creating space for those important things in my life. Mm -hmm. And, and that's visible. And I am making sure that work allows others to create space for those things in their life. We, we adopted a practice from the company GitLab. It's called Friends and Family Day. Oh, okay. What happens then? So GitLab publishes, they publish their entire company, everything openly online. Mm -hmm. So if you go to GitLab Handbook, just Google that. Their entire company is just open sourced. Mm -hmm. You can see the CEO's job description, his meeting schedules. You can see their policies and practices on every single thing. It's all public in a handbook. And every GitLab employee can submit changes to the way the company operates. So they'll just push a change. It'll get reviewed by people and either accepted or rejected into the company. So you can literally just change the company from whatever seat that you're in. Mm -hmm. uh, but their policy on Friends and Family Day is that every month, the CEO will choose from a bunch of people's sort of suggestions, recommendations, proposals, a day of that month that will be off for the entire company mandatory. So one day a month is mandatory time off that's synchronous. Oh, wow. And that means that on a non-holiday, everyone is leaning into the things that are most important to them mm -hmm. outside of work at the same time. So you're not sitting there thinking while you're there with your family at the movie, like, I wonder what's happening in Slack or Teams or email right. or <laughs> wonder what meetings I'm missing out on. Everyone's off. Right. And so oh, that's we, wonderful. we've adopted that. And oh, so June 20th this month, and we have to do ours on, on usually Mondays or Fridays because of how much facilitation we work, the work we do during the weeks with, with our customers. But on June 20th, I'll be at an amusement park with my son for his birthday and I'll know that the entire company's off. Nobody's missing me. I'm not missing anybody. Yeah. Um, and so while, you know, I've got this sort of shadow on how much space I create for work and how much space that takes from people in their lives sometimes, we're also trying to be intentional about how we can establish culture around that as well. So I can't. So Rob is right. <laughs> I love it. I'm a big uh, culture uh, proponent. So, I mean, advocate. So I'm I'm just so curious. Steve, like you've mentioned already two behaviors as a leader that you exhibit. I'm just curious, what other types of role modeling or behaviors do you think is so critical as a founder, as a leader, as you scale? What are some of those other examples? That's really good. Um, it seems like Rob wants to say something too. You want to say something, Rob? <laughs> Rob's just going to make fun of me. <laughs> no, I just want to, I'm just laughing because I think, you know, so before you t give us all the things that you're thinking about in terms of uh, of culture, how, how hard was the process of instituting that for you, uh, instituting that practice of everyone stepping back? And even that means you have to step back too, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that that's probably not a normal thing for someone as, as driven and uh, energetic senior, as right? Like as, yeah. as, as the leader of the, the, well, yeah, the founder the, and the leader of the, the founder. company. So, so, yeah. so start there. How easy was that for you? Was that a learning process for you? And then, uh, and then all the, all the points. All, Nadia, all, all Nadia's questions. <laughs> so the, the first time, the first time we did friends and family day, I was at least a little bit visibly still working. 
<laughs> even though the rest of the company was off just a little bit, right? It was like, okay, we can see Steve's a little plugged in still. The, sec the second time- You see him on Slack. <laughs> I kept my light not green on Slack, but there were a couple of things. It was like, uh, Steve working, I can't tell. And then the second time we did Friends and Family Day, and, and the first time, to be fair, like I set out to do it. I said, we're just going to do it, even though I've got a few things scheduled on that day anyway. I can't, I can't move. Some investor meetings, some different things. I'm going to keep those few things on the calendar. I'm just, and I'll, I'll be off the rest. And sorry, everyone, I'll do better. Just everybody be off, but I've got a few things. I'm going to do them. The next time I secretly worked the entire day. <laughs> All so went, the secrets are coming out now. <laughs> I went, I went to the office. Nobody knew. And then the next day I confessed to my co-founders and said, guys, I'm sorry. I worked yesterday. I'm going to do better. And then the third time, that's when it unlocked everything. Because the third time I said, Rebecca, and that's my wife, I said, Rebecca, I'm going to take this seriously. Let's plan the day intentionally together. And so she scheduled some self-care. And then we scheduled a walk together after dropping the kids off together at school. And so we went and did a two-hour walk. During that two-hour walk, she told me in real long stories and in lots of words, um, how intense this business has been for her and how much it's impacted her and her relationships and our family. And we made a plan during that two hour walk about how we would be more intentional about creating space for our family and still creating space for the work that I'm doing and for us to be able to talk about that work because of how much it matters to our whole family. It's an investment we're all making together. And then I spent the afternoon with my one-year-old daughter while she went and, and had some self-care, as I mentioned. And <laughs> I think it was like a, a manicure, pedicure, and spa day, yeah. you know? And she came home, and my kids came home from school and found me there as they came home from school, my 10-year-old, my 8-year-old. And, Dad, what are you doing? Well, it's Friends and Family Day. And that was a turning point to really lean in the one time and then to come back Tuesday, recharged and energized mm -hmm. and feeling the same things that everyone else was feeling. And now knowing that I needed to be very intentional from then on about making sure I planned that day. And so mm -hmm. June 20th, as I mentioned, is the amusement park with my son and two of his friends for his birthday. And just leaning into that space has made it easier to be deliberate and intentional because it's actually like, so just to zoom out just a little bit, diversity, inclusion, they're creative efforts. Like they create. So the diversity of your team is a creative effort. Mm. It, it allows for people to generate better and more ideas that represent the customers that you're trying to serve. Sure. And so you're creating by, by providing that diversity. These like time off, restorative time is creative as mm. well. Yeah. Your mind slows down. You have the opportunity to think about things a little bit differently. You also are inspired again by the reason why you do the things that you do. You're able to remember that. And, and as you look at people shifting towards four day work weeks, which I'm absolutely horrified of. I'm just, <laughs> oh no. Wait, why? I'm scared. I'm just scared because I have a hard enough time with it with a two day weekend. Mm -hmm like really slowing my brain down and, and getting over the anxiety and finding ways to be really intentional about time off. Sure. 
And I'm like, oh, if everybody ships to four, now I got to do that for three days. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you can still I'm secretly gonna, like, show my... up on, on, yeah, on the third day. Yeah. So back yeah, to what other, what other um, things, Steve, culturally, are you trying or thinking of and, and other things that you think about in terms of role modeling behaviors? Well, so as we've talked about four-day work week and my anxiety around not working, what I really realize is how much I love work. Like, I love work. And not like I'm a workaholic addicted to work, but I just enjoy, you know, working through the challenges, the people challenges and the conversations. I enjoy the mission of our company. I feel inspired by the work that we're doing. And so I don't think to myself, how can I have a three-day weekend? I think to myself, how can I have more opportunities to work and then also still have more opportunities to be with my family and the spaces that I really enjoy? I want both really badly. And so I think that really shines a light on what the most important thing about culture really, really, really is, which is giving people meaning and purpose in the work that they're doing. And I think there can be meaning and mission and purpose in every type of job and work. If for nothing else, we all work with other humans and the very act of engaging and connecting with other humans in meaningful and positive ways can create by itself mission and meaning and purpose. Because as we interact positively with each other, it creates ripples. And so we think about shooting in Texas and what can we do sitting here in Salt Lake or wherever we may be sitting to impact that, to either make sure that doesn't happen or support the families, the victims, or thinking about the shooter, showing compassion for people in that situation and scenario and thinking, how can we help fewer people get to the point where they think they need to go and shoot up a school. It starts with the interactions with the people you work with directly on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. because you're connected to them and they're connected to someone 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 who is a victim of a shooting at a school in Texas or who is that shooter. Um, we're all interconnected. And as we provide that alone as mission and, and meaning and purpose for the people that work for and with us, we say, listen, it's impactful just to be here at work together. It's impactful just to show up positively together and with each other and to connect meaningfully and positively with each other in the meetings that we're in. Be kind, you know, that alone is that mission, meaning and purpose that drives me. But then further than that, like, what about the work you're doing impacts the world in a positive way? Mm. And how can you help people to connect to that more meaningfully? Because if they're enjoying the work that they're doing, then there's a lot less effort you need to put into all of the other aspects of culture and everything else. So that's probably the most important thing that we focus on is just helping people to understand that what are we doing? We're trying to help the world to connect at scale. So we're trying to provide universal access to what we call campfires, which are connected learning experiences where people come together talk, connect, reflect, share, find ways to do better and be better. And so every day when people come to work, they think I'm, I'm a part of something special, mm -hmm. something different. And then I need to model that inside the company. What we're trying to teach is behaviors for our customers. We need to model that internal to the company. And as we do that, that those connected efforts that we make will create ripples that will actually solve problems and change things at scale throughout the world. Very cool. So I, I just, you hit on so many things and even touch back on the product, which I was trying to, that's where I was going to go next was, was, 
you know, you have a lot of use cases at this point. I think you have, you used to have an inclusive leadership campfire there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you have yep. one on, on building trust in organizations as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just, you know, how do you feel that HR leaders learn development teams can use that product? How does it, how, what does it look like in practice in terms of using campfire? Yeah. So at my last company in structure, I had the privilege privilege of going to some of the largest companies in the world with some of the best talent development organizations that exist. So I spent several days out with Johnson and Johnson in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I went to Novartis out in Switzerland. I visited the Tesla factory and worked with their team. I went to Lululemon and spent time with their talent team. And they have immense resources to support and develop people. Just like these layered sets of programming, they have training and development and learning opportunities for every type of leader and individual. They have so many resources to invest. And as we've looked at that, we've said, how can we give access to those types of experiences to more people? And the most underserved audience is the small and medium-sized businesses. Mm -hmm. They have HR departments, but they haven't yet invested in talent development departments. And right. for the most part, they've just provided courses and conferences and maybe learning stipends to be able to serve some of these things. And so our mission is to be able to be the talent development arm for these small and medium-sized businesses. So Rob, to answer your question, how do they partner with us? Well, we, we want uh, Megan Galloway, who works with Campfire, who has 10 years of talent development experience and exposure to these types of scaled programs to be the talent leader for all of these companies. So we will take these uh, live learning experiences off your plate, bring your people together to have conversations around very meaningful content, including we still have an inclusive leadership session. It's not available on the website to just join freely, but um, we do deliver that with our customers. And then we provide we have 12 world-class facilitators that work with us. Mm -hmm. We build all of this content for these companies. And so we take it off their plate. And then Megan works with these customers to provide a talent development strategy that helps them to feel like they can get to every layer of leader and help them to feel more connected and more supported in what is truly a very, very difficult job. So we used to say at the beginning of the company, that uh, managers are bad. Just generally, mm -hmm. <laughs> the world is filled with bad managers. Mm. And that resonated. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think it's very fair. I think what's right. more true is management mm -hmm. is hard. Yes, Management is hard. And like there are no good and bad managers. There's just people trying to do a really hard thing. And... They have different skills and strengths and experiences that might fit well in some contexts and not in others. And they need support. They need help. And so we partner with these companies to help these leaders to understand that, that we understand how hard it is and that we can be there to support them and that we can bring them together with other managers who will be a support group and network for them to do something that's very challenging. That's awesome. I, I appreciate that. And I hope our listeners here definitely head to Campfire because I think there are many companies out there that are looking for that that talent development um, support um, and Campfire can de definitely provide that. 
Um, Steve, so you've provided a lot of advice already to us, and we're grateful for that. Any other last pieces of advice as it relates to um, diversity, equity, inclusion as a founder? Yeah, I think that uh, my advice would be that when you do make the choices between fast and right, that are hard, hard choices, that um, my advice is to, as much as possible, not make it a binary either or proposition. Um, it's not fast or right. It's how can I move as fast as I possibly can while doing the absolute best that I can to make sure that I set my company up for success in the long term. Because as you scale and grow, at some point you will have to address some of these things as you, as you strive to provide value to customers and have impacts you know, with the people that you work with. And so um, just kind of leaning into how can I do both is a lot better than making it kind of this binary decision where, well, I guess I'll choose fast now. I'll choose right later. Mm. Steve, thanks so much again for being with us. I you know, truly value your perspective. I know you're, you, <laughs> you really think a lot about these issues. Thanks so much again for being with us. We appreciate yes. your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Nadia. It's been a pleasure. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Calm Reflection section of our episode where uh, Rob and I reflect on the conversation we had with our guest, Steve Arntz. Uh, Rob, you know how excited I get when we talk about culture, anything people related. Like I, I get so giddy. So I was very much appreciative um, of Steve's thoughtfulness as he scales campfire and focuses on his culture formation. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did it live up to you what you were hoping it, for? It did. You know, it did. And I even more so because what I love is when a leader is transparent and humble and recognizing certain things. And I thought he was so transparent, recognizing the value to diversify his team, really. And he connected that to ultimately how he can best serve his customers the right. right the representation of his customers and like really tied that back to not only performance but business performance and, and business results and i just think that um you know as he focuses on growth i i just appreciated his his views on that as um he continues to scale what were your thoughts yeah i i, I always enjoy talking to steve i was thinking about culture i also appreciated that he came right out and said early in the conversation that, you know, from a racial diversity perspective, that he's not where he wants to be. That's not where I was trying to take him to with the, that series of questions. Yeah. Um, and to his credit, that's really where he started. So yeah. I had a couple of thoughts there. And I thought the story, so one, I thought the story of him bringing on his co-founder, the, the, the woman that had joined him as a co-founder, was so powerful uh, from his perspective of taking that sponsorship action mm -hmm. and so one making sure that he was providing the woman he was offering to join him that she had the appropriate level of support and counsel mm -hmm. right from outside of from not just him right it was just a one-on-one -on -one conversation he brought others in to help her make the decision and then from the woman's perspective of coming back and saying yeah i'm really focused on equality i want an equal seat at this table it's important that i have the same amount of equity um, and again, it gets very confusing once we were talking about 
<laughs> equity, equity and, equality. and then also ownership equity <laughs> yeah. in a company, right? Oh, so, right. But, but in having that conversation and that back and forth over a period of time, I, so I just found it fascinating and I felt like there's so much to learn from it and take from it in terms mm. of being a sponsor. All of these things that they think about in that company in terms of creating an engaged and inclusive culture and how he thinks of role modeling behavior, mm. um, you know, the most pointed example being that friends and family day. So, so we put those two things together and we circle back to the initial point that Steve isn't where he wants to be from a racial perspective. Um, and obviously being here in Utah, mm -hmm. tactically, Steve can consider adding remote workers. And as he grows, I'm sure that's something he'll do. And, but I feel like you, if you, if you build that inclusive culture and you have a leader that's very uh, thoughtful and you have the right recipe for success in terms of when you when you do bring in people from different backgrounds right sure. so he's very intentional about providing people coming into the organization what they need in order to make the right decisions about joining the organization and he thinks about his own behaviors and the impact that they'll have on others and so as you grow and as you add more team members from different backgrounds you continue to do those things then you create an environment where people actually feel like they belong and they want to stay when mm -hmm. they get there, right? right? So, so I think that it's, I, I think that all the building blocks are there in terms of going forward and scaling and adding people from different backgrounds. Absolutely, um, great tips, great insight, Rob. Thank you for that. Um, well, that's a wrap for this week's episode of Inclusive Collective. Uh, thank you again to Steve Arntz of Campfire. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. I said this last time, I'll say it again. Better yet, share our podcast with your friends and family. Um, if you have feedback for us, email us at info at or check us out on Instagram at in uh, Inclusive Collective Podcast, all one word. Uh, Inclusive Collective is produced by Refilion Media. Thank you for joining us this week. I am Nadia Butt. I'm Rob Hadley. Be well and see you next week.